Hey, everybody. Welcome to Social Beauty Makers, a weekly podcast featuring fast-paced 15-minute conversations with industry masterminds, plus a weekly bonus episode on trends in tech and more for salons. Before we get started, I'm going to actually say I'm not using my usual microphone on the road. I literally forgot to bring my setup for the podcast, and so I'm using some alternatives. Fingers crossed it sounds okay. We'll, we'll figure that out when we're when we're done, but let me continue back to where I was and say before we get started, like I normally do, if you like the podcast, I hope you leave a rating and or review um, and hit the subscribe button. All those things help others to find us. And for early access to new episodes and for more content, sign up for my free weekly e-newsletter at socialbeautymakers.com. I'm Gordon Miller. Thank you for tuning in. So today I'm in the midst of a five-part series on the industry's various parts and pieces, past episodes, I spoke about the industry's media business, where I think it's headed, events, which, by the way, was really a popular episode, and online learning. The last two topics in this series are on distribution distributors and brands, manufacturers. Importantly, my views on all these topics are based primarily on observations of the larger industry and a myriad of conversations across the industry, literally from, from every part. My plan for today was to talk about distribution got my notes together and everything. And again, having these conversations, talking about every part of that segment of the industry from big to small, full service, professional stores and more. Um, And then moving on to brands and manufacturers. And in these conversations with professionals, I ran into one challenge. And so I'm going to have some more conversations before doing these episodes because I'm feeling kind of a a malaise, a a lack of interest, a lack of excitement. And that's like, hmm, am I talking to the wrong people? I'm misunderstanding what's going on. I I think I want to do a little bit more work around this before I I dig into it with you guys. So instead, I am going to, um, I'm going to read something to you guys, an interview that I did in 2003. (laughs) That's 20 years ago. Um, But it feels like it was written yesterday. Um, and it got me into a little bit of trouble when it was first published. It was with Strategies, um, um, Strategies, a, a, a business education company, events company. And they had for many years a, a printed newsletter. And I was interviewed by Neil Dukoff, a, a friend over there. I'm going to read the little intro first to you guys. Uh, so it, the article is called Gordon Miller Tackles the So-Called, that was in quotes, Issues. And it says, for over 20 years... Now 40. Uh, Gordon Miller has been involved in the professional beauty industry as executive director of the NCA, that's the National Cosmetology Association, since 1998. One of his continuing goals is to focus the salon community's resources on issues that, quote, unquote, really matter versus what he sees as the too often misdirected efforts based on a misunderstanding of the facts. If you listen to me regularly, you know that's kind of my thing. I'm all about the facts. Um, and I'm only going to read parts of this, uh, but let's 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 take this one. Um, okay, number one, salon professionals have a bad image. That was a big conversation. We need like a milk campaign to make people feel better about the profession. I never really agreed with that. I, I, I Of course, I want everybody to think well of us. I think most people do. Um, so here's what the article says from me. Number one, salon professionals have a bad image. And I say... Women tell me that their hairdressers are creative, fashionable, fun people whom they trust. Women of color talk about self-employed entrepreneurs with influence in their communities. So where's the problem? Yes, the media loves to toss around the stereotypical gay hairdresser, especially back then. I will say that's a side note for me right now. But back to the article. But I'd label that homophobia above hairdresser phobia. And for those looking for a career, The reality is that 
Most jobs in our industry are physically and emotionally demanding. They offer long hours and relatively low pay, especially in the early parts of the career. Consider, and again, this is 20 years ago, Salon Today, the magazine's um, top 200 salons reported average stylist earnings of $40,000 per year. Many came in under 30000 And remember, this is the top 200 salons in America in a universe of over 250,000 salons. A random check of those same articles will show many of those salons pay well under $25,000 on average to their staffs. Again, 20 years ago, side comment from me, um, and that's worth a lot more today. But the larger point I was making is that not everybody you know, makes a fortune in the industry. And that's not a bad thing if you put it in context. All right, back to the article. Most career hunters are looking for good benefit package in addition to good pay. Yet paid insurance, sick leave, and vacation time are virtually non-existent in the average salon. In the chain salons, much of the workforce is part-time and transitory, never qualifying for benefits, although they're promoted as being available. Even many full-time employees never qualify due to long waiting periods uh, before perhaps they leave the salon. I'm adding that a little bit here. Um, so this is the reality that impacts the perceptions of those making career choices. As many as 80% of stylists leave the industry within two years of beginning their careers. Today, I would say that's probably more like three years. Average annual compensation is under, again, I'll remind you, this was written in 2003, under $25,000. And then I say in italics, no PR campaign can or should hide these facts. And again, I'm just sidestep here. I'm, uh, I, I'm just trying to say that, um, yeah, let's be real. Number two. Um, all right, this is to talk about the labor shortage. I'll have to read this kind of fast. All right, let's uh, back to the article. Let's start with the simple micro math. Proponents of the labor shortage claim there are currently over 300,000 industry job openings. Again, this was uh, 2020, 2003. We're, we're still claiming that today. And in fact, we're saying it's larger. If we assume these are part time openings, this number would equal 150,000 full time equivalents. Let's also assume the need for a minimum of 200 clients, and that was the case back then, on a six-week rotation, 6.5 clients a day. If you then apply average service prices nationally, a 50% commission rate, and a 15% tip rate, you will arrive at an annual pay of $25,000. Moving all that up to the macro picture, 150,000 openings times 200 clients equals 30 million clients. Again, that was the number back then. This suggests 30 million clients that want but cannot find hairdressers. And then uh, in parens, studies show a national salon client base of under 80 million. It's a little bit higher today, but again, it's, it's not as big as we would like it to be. The basic laws of market econ economics state that a sustained shortage of labor results in rising prices. And for our industry, full appointment books, right? I mean, if we're having this labor shortage, it's 300 50,000 people right now. I, was, I just came from a meeting where they said, that's reality right now. Some believe that that's how many job openings and every one of them could be filled tomorrow. Um, I'm like, um, again, uh, it, the math doesn't seem to quite add up. Back to the article. Labor shortage is, is the big lie the industry has been telling itself for years. The fundamental problem with the argument is that we don't apply the industry evolution to the question. New categories may have shortages, but the industry as a whole does not. Also, the average new salon does not open for the purpose of filling unmet client need, but instead to take away clients from existing salons. That's just the reality of business. 
Um, unless it's like a new town or a new subdivision, you know, you're going to a neighborhood and you're saying, oh, that's a, that's a happening neighborhood. And there's some salons there, but we could do a better job. So, you know, we're going to open our own thing. Again, I'm sidestep from the article. I'll get back to it right now. So a new salon may have a shortage, but the industry does not. A vocal minority may have a shortage, but the industry does not. The bigger question remains, can there be a labor shortage if clients don't perceive one? Is it possible to have an ongoing 10-year labor shortage, I'll say now 30-year labor shortage, while the average price of haircuts goes down, or I would say today stays relatively the same? And yeah, we had a pandemic bump, but overall prices have not jumped as much as they should have. Uh, Again, I'm sidestepping back to the article. This is not according to the laws of economics that the rest of the world goes by. Now, all right, let's see. I want to jump ahead a little bit here because I can't read too much to you guys. The greater reality is that given the size of our industry, we are in the midst of a severe client shortage. We have 250,000 salons servicing under 80 million clients. That's just over 300 clients per salon. The average salon has three employees. Do the math. We are in a crisis. But the last thing we need is more staff to replace to replace those that leave because they don't have enough clients to make a living. It's a mistake to believe that salon chairs without hairdressers behind them represent a shortage of labor. If the salon is turning away clients, it needs more help. If not, it doesn't need more staff. As an analogy, I would say if a restaurant has enough wait staff to serve its customers, but always has 10 empty tables, do they need to hire another waiter? <laughs> the answer is no. Um, and I'm going to stop there. I could keep going. I might come back to this. There's a lot of interesting stuff here because um, I, yeah, I'm not going to even mention what I go on to talk about. But, but you know, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation because, again, we the industry at large puts a lot of effort into helping to, to promote the industry, which is a great thing, hoping to promote the artistry, the image of profession and professionals. And that's really important. But we've become a really big industry, a really diverse industry in terms of business models, in terms of types of businesses, you know, from small salons to big salons, to chain salons, corporate salons, you know, many, many different business models, all having unique challenges, all having unique problems. They're not the same. And we tend to talk about the industry as this big, you know, kind of one thing, you know, all salons, stylists, artists, you know, clump everybody together. That's one of my biggest pet peeves, by the way, that last word, artists. I reserve that for a really elite group of people in the industry. No offense to anybody. I think we are an industry filled with artistic people. And that is a label everybody should wear proudly. I don't consider myself to be artistic, and I'm jealous of people who are. Um, But to achieve the level of artist, artistry, I think that's something to aspire to. And again, that just takes me back to this diversity within our industry, again, across categories, across capabilities, um, across commitment. I just did three C's. Um, <laughs> that was not on purpose. Um, so much to talk about. I hope to revisit this conversation. I'm kind of excited uh, to be doing this quick quick recording and, and not really have had, had a plan. And I am going to have more conversations over the course of the next week. Again, I'm at, in Orlando, Florida. Next couple of days, I'll be talking to a lot of people um, from Again, different categories of the industry, schools, students, professionals, educators, um, and salon owners. And so I hope to get more feedback about brands, more feedback about distribution. I feel like I'm missing a little bit more information uh, because when people tell me they don't have strong opinions one way or the other, um, it surprises me because I kind of grew up in the era where there was so much passion about these topics, most of it really good. And so, um, yeah, 
that's that's my podcast for today. And so let me say um, thank you uh, for listening in. Um, follow me over on Instagram if you want to. I, I, I go by Gordon and Gordon M over there, but it's just one O G O R D N as in Nancy, M as in Mary. That's me on Instagram. Uh, make sure you go over to socialbeautymakers.com. Sign up for the free e-newsletter and you'll get uh, content every week. You'll also get uh, the, the newest podcast. And you'll get them a day early as well. Um, and if you like the podcast again, I hope you uh, I hope you will like, subscribe, or share. And um, yeah, that that is it. I thank you for listening. Apologies about the microphone. I hope it sounds okay. Once again, I'm Gordon Miller. I promise to have my setup nailed and proper next time out. Yeah, I am most excited to bring you really more good stuff next time. <laughs> <laughs>